0: Do you want more manageable hair? Is it dry and brittle? Got split ends? Nefertiti Secrets is an innovative system infused with a unique blend of nature's most nourishing ingredients including moringa oil, keratin protein, aloe, sage, and rosemary extracts. Our formulas contain natural remedies that were used by ancient Egyptians. This amazing system will transform your hair with regular use and creates hair that's softer, silkier, and more beautiful than ever. Embrace royalty. For more information and to purchase your own products, go to nefertidisecrets.com.
1: You're listening to the Inspiring Minds Show on the Own Your Power Radio Network. This is Todd Goodwin, your host and hypnotist. Our goal is to inspire, empower, and transform your life. So stay tuned and inspire your mind. Welcome to the Inspiring Minds show on the Own Your Power Radio Network. I'm your host and hypnotist, Todd Goodwin from the Miami Hypnosis Center. Welcome. Thank you, mom. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. On the Inspiring Minds show, our goal is to inform you and to educate you, inspire you, and empower you to make better use of the mind you've been given, to understand yourself, have greater self awareness, and through that awareness, learn the tools. The techniques, the tips, and the insights that will help you live a more fulfilling and joyful life. In other words, break free from the cultural programming or hypnosis of the media and of of other people who've convinced you to follow their agenda and in the process you've lost sight of yourself. So today's topic, which I'll introduce in a moment, is one specifically about breaking free of the bondage, the servitude, the slavery, um, and the restraint um, that comes from addictions so today we're gonna to be talking about addiction uh, it's an overused word what does it mean what are some examples and then most importantly how can we actually resolve them you may be surprised you're gonna learn a lot in a short amount of time it's actually a lot easier to resolve it it's not easy but it's a lot easier than we've all been led to think and there are certain ways to do this effectively using the mind in the right way um, our guest is dr william horton who is an expert in um, addiction psychology. He's a licensed clinical uh, psychologist specializing in cognitive behavioral psychology. But what makes him especially effective during the last 30 years that he's been in this field is that he is a hypnotist and also a master expert of neuro-linguistic programming and neuro-restructuring techniques, um, many of which, a lot of which, he has actually pioneered and developed through all of his experience with clients and patients, as well as working in an addiction recovery or substance abuse clinic as the medical director um, leading the programming. You can talk a little bit about that, Dr. Will. But basically, if someone knows how to help resolve an addictive situation faster, better than nearly every other approach you've heard of out there, Dr. Will Horton is the person. So welcome, Dr. Will. Thank you.
2: Thank you. Thank you.
1: So we have a couple minutes before we have to go to our first break, but just to introduce it, if you could define <laughs> define in a minute or two what you would say, what is an addiction? Well, an addiction, it's a good
2: question because people confuse an addiction and a habit. You, know, okay. you can have a bad habit. I mean, you, there's people, they, they drink. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, they might drink too much. Is that an addiction or is it a bad habit? Well, clinically, if we step into the clinical world... And it kind of makes sense. It's an addiction when it causes a lot of discomfort in several areas of your life, like your finances, your interpersonal relationships, your career. Uh, Do you have any run-ins with the law? And if you have negative consequences and you keep doing that habit, then it becomes an addiction. And a lot of thought was if somebody gets a DUI and, you know, they make them go to A and they want them to go to treatment, are they an alcoholic? Maybe, maybe not. But – if they get a DUI and they never put themselves in that situation again, they, they probably don't have a problem, mm-hmm. you know, as opposed to the guy that this is his third DUI. Right. Then, I'll, okay, well, you're doing it in the face of a lot of negative consequences. It's like
1: fool me once, shame on –
2: Right. And right. It, yeah, and if your boss threatens you that, hey, you come in late again, you know, there's going to be hell to pay and you show up late, well – because you were out drinking again, right. then it's a problem. And then it's probably an addiction. And you can't just stop. A habit, it, it's painful to stop, but an addiction, it's it's damn near impossible to stop. And we'll get into that because a true addiction, it becomes a brain-based issue. Mm-hmm. You, to get mad at an addict for maybe you know having the addiction is like being mad at a diabetic for being
1: diabetic. Right, You know, you don't beat up a guy because he's diabetic, but, oh, he's
2: just a weak-willed
1: addict, you know. Well, but we're going to talk about this, and obviously you have, you know, vastly more experience uh, working with this than I do. I've been a hypnotist for almost nine years, and you've been doing this, specifically focusing on addictions for decades. But, uh, you know, I have my own opinion from my perspective about how much of it seems to be mental versus blam- it- blaming it on the brain and blaming it on the physiology, like someone who's overweight saying, well, you know, my the thyroid. problem, doctor, right, is my thyroid, the problem is... Obesity runs in my family, and then the doctor says, no, the problem is no one runs in your family. <laughs> and that's why yeah. people are fat. So anyway, jokes aside, we're going to get back to this in a moment, but it is important because you um, have pioneered a lot of techniques and have communicated through the books you've written, The Alcohol and Addiction Solution, right? That's one right. book, okay. And, and through your clinic and as a hypnotist and through the mental health um, or the Substance Abuse Center, teaching people how to use their mind in a way to actually um, gain the greatest advantage they can. So as difficult as it might be to overcome an addiction, there's a message of hope that's Mm -hmm. legitimate then. Yes. Yes. Okay, so we're going to get into that in a moment after we come back uh, from our first break. This is Todd Goodwin with the Inspiring Minds Show talking about what is an addiction and how you can overcome it more easily and naturally than you thought possible. We'll be right back.
3: problems in the past so if you really really want it then you better Keep the fi- The bitter is a
0: Time and listen to good vibes.
2: Hello, everyone, out there in this wonderful world. This is Angie Yarick Spader from LA Tan Span Medical Aesthetics, and I'm hanging out here with Simone, whom, whom I've known for so many years at Own Your Power Radio Station, where everything I decided you.
1: show on the Own Your Power radio network. I'm your host with the most, Todd Goodwin, board-certified hypnotist at the Miami Hypnosis Center, and my super special guest tonight, Dr. Will Horton, psychologist, hypnotist, master neurolinguistic programming, trainer, author, and expert in addictions and substance abuse. Uh, so we talked, Dr. Will, briefly about what is an addiction? Mm-hmm. How does it differ from a habit? And if I recall, you said um, a habit or a habit is maybe more mental or emotional, whereas the addiction is definitely more neurophysiological, more brain-based. Mm-hmm. There's more of a a real hook in there than just, you know, the conscious, subconscious debate that we think about when we think of our right. clients as a hypnotist. Yeah,
2: and, and the field is changing. And, and the more we're finding about the neurochemicals and the neural loops and all the things that are going on, you know, the neural feedbacks that are happening, that it, it's lending more more and more credence to that it's not what they thought it was, mm-hmm. right? But unfortunately, it's a, a field that's not researched the way some other things are, right? And What do you mean by that? Well, if you look at, like, wh- how much money is going into research on a physical disease, like a cancer, heart, anything like that. And then you look at something that kills almost as many people, which is an addiction. It's not studied that much because it's it's the box is so big. There's different types of addiction. So they haven't really researched But there are guys doing a lot of research and things, and more and more stuff's coming out. But also <clears throat> with that... One of my big things is the field of treatment addiction has not really changed in about 50 years. Hmm. You know, when you go to most treatment centers in the United States, they still pretty much dry you out or clean you out, depending if it's drugs or alcohol. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, get you to eat some good food, get you some rest, you know, vitamins and that. And then start sending you to AA meeting. Right. uh, Which is fine. But then they do some therapy, but not that much. And then it's ad hoc. I mean, even in a center, this is why it gets so frustrated even in a center there's no protocol right usually uh i'm talking in big generalities here but you're a therapist you may be doing this stuff i'm a therapist i'll be doing totally other stuff so how does the client know if they're getting the best of anything because there's no quantitative data on like uh i'm a big one on protocols i do like that about medicine you do this you do this you do this you do this this usually happens but guy goes into treatment maybe in the same treatment center but he he gets a great result and someone else doesn't because there's no standardization. Right. So they're looking at all this other stuff. And when it goes back to like the difference between an addiction and a habit, here's an interesting one. I call it the happy rat study, right? This is my happy rat story. Mm-hmm. And, there was a, a, and it ties into a lot of the thought processes going on, right? In the 1970s, they did a commercial. And what it was, they took a, a rat, they put him in a cage. They had the water bottle and food and stuff. And they had cocaine, right? And that was it. That was all there. And they got the rat This hooked. must have been in Miami, right? Yes, this it was in was Miami. I almost said something politically incorrect. But not that I would do that. But anyway, no. the the rat got hooked on cocaine, right? So they got it hooked on cocaine. So finally then then they put in like different food. They put in a female rat in Rat was just doing coke, mm-hmm. right? And it did coke till he died, right? And so they came out with the commercial, one drug is so addictive that even whatever, like it will turn down food, it will turn down sex, it'll just basically, and that started the real war on drugs. Mm-hmm. That, that absolute, got it stopped. Okay, fine. And, you know, it's like interesting, and boy, it really led to where we're at now. Zero tolerance, da-da-da-da-da. Okay, well, mm-hmm. and, and the public bought it. It was a cool commercial. Right. Mm-hmm. So but what was interesting, there was a psychologist that there's something wrong with this picture. Right. And because he went back to the 19 late 60s, Vietnam, all the, a great majority of the soldiers And that's I don't want to say it that way. A lot of soldiers in Vietnam got hooked on drugs or alcohol. Because it was an unpopular war, mm-hmm. you know they they were persecuted for going, they were persecuted for not going. It was it was a no win situation. And they were probably traumatized and They're, had post traumatic stress it, from their experiences. It, and it was, and, yes, and it was a bloody war, close combat. Uh, you know the enemy was. Mm-hmm it was everywhere so anyway so but guys were using a lot of heroin a lot of marijuana a lot of drinking and so they geared up for this huge epidemic of drug addicts and alcoholics that were going to come back from vietnam and i don't know a couple million guys served right so they expecting all these huge numbers right so the guys came back and when you know especially when the war wound down well they geared up for it and when the guys first came back and we're seeing this duplicated with the current war veterans coming Mm -hmm. back when they first come back they still because it they're drinking a lot or drugging over there they come back they were still doing it but not as much but what was interesting you give it a few month follow-up a great majority of the guys over 90 percent just quit Hmm. and even some of them most of them went back and been normal they could have a beer they could you know they were just normal which went against everything that people would say. right Right. don't
1: ever don't ever have a drink again and And, and,
2: and all this other stuff and so what happened was, well, once they got acclimated back into the world, as we used to say, once they got back to the world and got happy, got in a better situation, the addiction fell by the side. You still had 10% that were still alcoholic, drug addict, doing those things. Fine. So then they went back, the same guy, and he took the rats and he said, well, one of the problems is rats are social animals. They're mm. like people. You put a, it's like putting a guy in a cell. Okay, here's water, here's food, here's Coke. Well, you might just do it because you got nothing else to do.
1: Right? Right. So the rat is isolated, and as a result, he's and naturally it, stressed. And,
2: it, and rats are curious. And anybody that's ever dealt with rats, I, you know, we used to have a lot of these fruit trees. We have fruit rats. They're smart little buggers, mm-hmm. right? And so they're bored. So he took the same rat, got him hooked on cocaine. Got a bunch of rats hooked on cocaine. They must like cocaine, right? So he got them all hooked on cocaine. But then he took them out of the that situation and put them in happy rat scenarios, mm-hmm. where there's 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 other rats. There's and this became important baby rats you know they like to nurture so they're all and toys and this well again most of the rats just left the cocaine alone it would be there they would just leave it alone hmm. you still had a small percentage that would still go do the cocaine so it leads to the idea that if you're genetically predisposed then you're going to go down the addiction path because again you look at a lot of guys go to college they have to go to off the you know, Florida, Florida State, Miami. Mm-hmm. You know, these are party schools. There's some. I went to IU. <laughs> it's a big party school. It's always in the top 10, you know. And, um, and these guys, they go there and they drink, they drug, they live in a frat house. They're insane for four years. You run into them at 28. They're MBAs. They're running a corporation. Mm. They're laced. They're, they're clean cut. Well, how did they do that? Well, again, you go back. You always get that subset. The guys that were in the, the frats that their lives never get back together.
1: So, those, so the 90% in this
2: case that you're saying who – Can drink alcoholically even, party that way, but then you get them out of that situation,
1: they, they normalize. So it's context-specific. Context-specific. Okay, so you look at the student who's under stress socially, academically. Or even uh, if it's just
2: living in a frat where that's – A, it's Thursday. We start the weekend
1: uh, at uh, 11 a.m. You right, know? right. At least the frats I was around, that was, you know. Okay, so then, then so, and I don't want to get lost in the, um, in the uh, semantics of, well, you know, the definition is an addiction, because I have this with some clients of mine. Like some people tell me, you know, they come in, and I'd say maybe, maybe 30% of my clients say I want to, you know, lose weight or, or quit eating sweets, bread, junk food, or quit smoking. The rest is you know stress self confidence mm-hmm. those kind of things, but those are the the two and occasionally I drink a little too much, but you know normally it's it's a very functional kind of right um, problem, I guess you could say, and they're still able to live normal functional lives, maybe they have weight issues, maybe they mm-hmm. blow a lot of money on it, and some people say, well, I'm addicted to nicotine, and what I tell people at least from my experience is that smoking is probably 90% mental mm-hmm. and that, yeah, the nicotine does have an action in the brain, but within three days, it's out of your body. And I know a lot of people, one exa- one reframe or one perspective I give people, I want your opinion on this because we never talked about it, is that a lot of people, if they reach in they're convinced they're addicted. And, and I say, well, have you ever run out of cigarettes? Like you look in your purse or you look in your pocket and it's like, oh, man, I'm out of them. And then what, how do you feel? Well, I feel more stressed. okay. Then what do you do? Then I go to the Seven Eleven or something, and and, you, and, you, and and I buy the pack of cigarettes, and I walk outside, and I said, "At what point do you start feeling better from stress?" And he said, "Actually, as soon as I buy the cigarettes." Yes. And I said, "You haven't lit them, you haven't smoked them. It still takes twenty seconds after you inhale before it's in your brain." So, how much of that was really a stress reaction, and how much of it was nicotine? Because you didn't get nicotine by buying the cigarettes. Right. You got it from them. Right. So mm-hmm. would you would you agree with that? Oh Does yeah, it? that's a, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. so most of it is an emotionally compulsive habit uh-huh.
2: in fact all of them when you get it the drug or the alcohol or whatever it is out of your system and if you've been let's say it's a drug or alcohol you've been clean and sober for three to four months it's out of your system it's not a comp- it, it's not a physical compulsion at that point that, that if you get into the neurochemical feedback if that track that's not there
1: so that the brain has normalized itself usually yes. after that amount of yeah. time.
2: And so then it's a mental obsession. There's the difference. Right. And then it's like, and maybe it's those triggers that people, you know, the oh, they listen to country music, which, you know, hey, I grew up listening to that. Anybody wants to drink when you listen to country music. Well, it's right? just
1: so depressing about your dog leaving you <laughs> yeah, and your, your wife leaving yeah, you. Yeah, and your, your mom's in jail. Pick up truck, got in, a flat tire yeah. and all that. So,
2: yeah, but anyway, whatever those conceptual things are, the, right. they start that path, right? And. So then, it's the mental side, and that's the that's that thing that we can help people with. It's right. like okay, let's make this change, right? Uh, and then you you hear people make these weird links, like you say, like when they say, you know, nicotine is more addictive than mm, heroin. heroin, right? And I'm like, well, you know what? I've worked in treatment centers. I've seen heroin addicts curl up in the corner, puking and crap in their pants. Right. The only thing a smoker does is bitch, you know, yeah, right? And whine. I mean, that's. It's not the same thing, you know. And more people die from alcohol withdrawal than any other drug in the world, right? But oh no, it's nicotine.
1: Why do they think that? Well, what well, sells a lot of patch gum, all and that stuff? They, they do that, that curl stuff doesn't commercial. Even work that, well, yeah, right? there was
2: a cool commercial. And it was they got to use money to, that they had to pay for to get people to quit smoking to make this commercial where you know, like a guy's trapped under the ice and you see him scratching the ice, and they go, "Sometimes you want a cigarette, and then he breaks three, ah, so bad you just gotta you gotta have it or whatever it is." But it's like. Any smoker can relate to that. Mm-hmm. And it's like, and we know it's hard to quit. Most people fail. That was in the tagline of the commercial. Yeah. So they're programming you to fail. Right. And, and so it becomes the, the mental side. Every day, every day, people throw down cigarettes. They throw away drinks. Uh, they change their diet without ever seeing a guy like us. Right. Or a lady, a lady like a lovely hypnotist, right? Mm-hmm. Whatever it happens to be. They just quit. What's the difference? That's what I'm always fascinated, right? Or the guys that go to AA, I'm a big 12-step advocate, right? When you look at that, why hasn't people really looked at, okay, success ratio. By the way, do you know this? You could walk into the best treatment center in the country or walk into an AA meeting cold. You have the same statistical chance of sobering up. What is that, it's, like 15% or Yeah, something? about 15% or less, right? So it's not good. And yet you're still a fan of it. Yeah. Well, um, but the re, but the people that su- no one's ever said, okay, like let's say I take a hundred people that's been successful in the AA and sobered up and say, What are you doing? What are you doing that's different than the guy that can't sober up? And what are the mental constraints? What is the what are you doing different? And I think it has to do with they neural they without going through maybe what we would do formally, they've neuro restructured themselves. They do neural restructuring techniques. Okay. They think different. They act different. All right, they so become we're gonna, a new we're,
1: we're going to get into that in the second in the, the second major segment of the show because, you know, listening to this is great, but the reality is what's different about talking about addiction from what everyone else has already heard before, it's that, that you can actually over, override the the emotional part and and get a leg up on whatever the physiological issue is, especially once once the physical or chemical part is passed. Mhm. There's such a high relapse rate, and that's where the, the, the hypnosis or the neuro restructuring can help. Is that, is that what you're saying? Yes, yep, exactly. Okay, so we're going to go to our break. We'll be back. We're going to talk about the solution and how you can actually undo or unlearn the addictive mindset, the addictive feelings, the addictive behaviors, whether it's process-oriented or it's a chemical, whether it's something like um, – porn addiction, gambling, where there's no external chemical being introduced, or it's something like drinking, doing drugs, even even though I don't call them addiction, um, eating junk food, smoking, same basic stuff. It's basically in a compulsive habit. So we're going to get into that in a moment. Uh, this is Todd Goodwin with the Inspiring Minds show on the Own Your Power Radio Network. We'll be right back.
0: If you're like me, you love to hold on to your cash and use it for basic needs like the light bill, water bill, and yeah, maybe even the mortgage or the rent. That's pretty much all that I use cash for since I get almost everything on barter. In a typical month, I get my hair done, eyebrows waxed, printing services, massages business coaching, personal assistance for my companies, social media marketing, and more all on barter. Oh, and did I mention travel? Yes, to many different exotic locations like Costa Rica and Barbados on barter. I literally... Save thousands a year, and I'd love to help you do the same. All you have to do is join the Give and Take Network at www.giveandtakenetwork.org. That's give, the letter N, network.org. When you join Give and Take, you'll learn how to generate more business, reduce your overhead, and save cash. Barter is definitely smarter, and don't let anyone tell you any differently. Join us today at giveandtakenetwork.org.
1: welcome back. This is Todd Goodwin, your host and hypnotist in the Inspiring Minds show on the Own Your Power radio network. And today we're talking with Dr. William Horton, who's a psychologist, hypnotist, and expert in helping rewire the brain, especially with addictions. And uh, we talked a little bit about addictions. What are addictions? How is that different from habit? What are some of the different types? Uh, Welcome back, Dr. Will. Thank you. All right. And before we get into a few things that I want to ask you about addictions, and then, of course, the most important part is how can we break those addictions easily or more easily, more naturally than what most people think of in the conventional treatments that you say have not changed in decades. So first of all, my experience as a hypnotist is that, and, and this references what you mentioned as the happy rat experiment in the early 70s, where an unhappy rat, because he was isolated, was given cocaine and then basically chose the cocaine versus food or water and eventually died but it was because he was unhappy so I'm gonna throw out something that sounds a little um, well I'm just gonna throw it out there and you can catch it if you want if you don't just let let it fly on by (laughs) if you weren't so low you wouldn't need to get high
2: Mm -hmm. right
1: so so if if you're I'll give you one quick example this is a process addiction. I had a client several years ago who was a flasher. I don't even know if I've mentioned this on the show yet, but he was, I promised to, and so now's the day. He was a flasher. He came in, he said, um, I'm a sexual exhibitionist. I go out, you know, he was late thirties, had a, had a kid, a wife, um, a good job. He went out three times a week from work during lunch and he would sort of troll around the streets looking for a woman Uh, you know, that would be a good target. And he would, you know, go around naked or something with, I guess, a coat. I didn't ask for his actual technique, but (laughs) anyway, and then he, he would get out of the car and he would flash them. And then afterwards, you know, after they would be like, Oh, you know, he would then go and masturbate somewhere. And he did this three times a week. And he said, I've been arrested twice. If I get arrested again, I'm going to lose my, his wife was ready to kick him to the curb because she knew it was a problem, but didn't know it was that big of a problem. And he said, I've been through therapy. They've told me, you know, psychotherapy, I'm sick. You know, I, I mm-hmm. have a mental problem, whatever I can. not And he said, if the, you're my last hope. And and I was like, okay, no pressure. But anyway, I realized, I told him, I said, after the free consultation, I told him, you know, what I can tell here is that you're not mentally ill, you're not sick, you just have a thinking problem. Mm-hmm. And, I, and he said, what, what do you mean? Because it kind of lightened it a little bit. But I said, look, the reality is, Clearly, you're unhappy," he said. He, "You know, he hadn't had any emotional or sexual intimacy with his wife for a while. Uh, he wasn't really fulfilled in his career, and he just was under a lot of stress. He also smoked two packs a day, and uh, of cigarettes. And he, I said, look, if, first of all, if you weren't so low, you wouldn't need to get high. Some people do cocaine, some people uh, do drugs or get drunk or do something. Your drug is masturbating, your drug is getting high, the thrill, the risk of getting caught, not knowing what that woman, how she's going to react. And that excitement helps get you above that neutral line that you're always under. So if we work on your self-esteem and get you to begin to appreciate things in your life that you have not appreciated and get you to actually feel more inspired by Mm -hmm. your life instead of feeling so crappy, then you won't need to do something to get yourself high. And that was the first part. Then we're going to get into what we're going to talk about with you, which is the neuro restructuring and the uh, the NLP or the hypnosis part, but I said, there's a way you're thinking about this mm-hmm. that's causing you to want to do it, right? And and I believe that this is the case, Dr. Will, with, with most addictions, maybe all, It's that what happened was he'd be at work, he would start thinking about um, what he was going to do, picturing where he would drive to, the, what the woman's expression would be based on past experience. And then as he starts thinking about it, picturing it, hearing it in his mind he began to feel this compulsive urge to do mm-hmm. it because that thought created this uncomfortable feeling where he felt like he was without something that for him he referred to as having fun. That was his euphemism for it. Right. So he felt like he was without it. He felt really uncomfortable and, the, and that compulsion built. And the only way he could get to relieve the discomfort was to actually get in his car, go out and do it. And once he did it and he had that high experience of the orgasm and then you know, he came down from it, he then felt guilty, he felt bad, he felt irritable for about two days, and then it would start building Going again. back up. So I said, if we can change how you think about it so that it interrupts the process so you never actually feel it, you wouldn't do it, would you? He said, no, I don't want to do it until I feel like I have to. So isn't that an addiction? Yes. Okay. Actually, what's interesting is that after one session he stopped doing it, mm-hmm. um, we weren't using medication, we weren't using talk therapy, we used neurolinguistic programming, hypnosis, the things you're talking about here. And after two or three, he stopped even thinking about it, which is really interesting. And and this is, I mean, this was something that really made me feel great about the work that we get to do is that after I think his fourth session, he, he came in and he said, you know, um, my wife and I actually started having sex again. I said, Oh, that's great. A lot of people would wish that would happen who don't have that kind of (laughs) addictive problem to begin with. But it was amazing how he went a full 180 and then, of course, weirdly, it took a whole year to come back and say, okay, I'm ready to quit smoking now. Right. But, but the point is, um, that's a process addiction, right? There was no... He wasn't injecting himself with some chemical. It was all in his brain.
2: He started his own neural feedback.
1: By the it. way, yeah. he was thinking about it. Okay, so if you were his wife, let's say, or if you were to advise his wife briefly, what, how would you advise someone who's dealing with someone with an addictive or strong compulsive habit like that? Well, the, the
2: most important thing when you get a, a, a significant other or family member is it, it's very tough, right? Because you start feeling guilty that uh, you, that you're not doing something that they need. You don't, you know, that I'm not loving you right. I'm not giving you enough love, especially if it's something like a spouse or a child. And the the biggest thing when I get a spouse that comes in, you start talking about, well, first of all, you have to separate the addict from the addiction. Hmm. Right, that you can hate the addiction, don't necessarily hate the addict. Mm-hmm. Right, paraphrasing we, Jesus, I believe yeah, from the yeah, scripture. That's yeah, right. Yeah, hate
1: hate the sin, don't hate the sinner. Yeah, it's right. like
2: yes, but unfortunately, most people throw both out. And, right, you know, and it's like so. But the other thing is, it crosses that fine line because then what happens with most people is you start overcompensating for them, so you start covering up for them. You start doing some things. And one of the few things that the clinical community community got right is to tr- to help the people that are the uh, family members and significant others get tough love. Mm. You know, you got drunk last night. You're late today. I'm not calling your boss. You call your boss.
1: So to help break the codependency that develops because of substance yeah, it's abuse. like
2: I yeah you know. Or was one wife as she started doing it, she. Guy said, "I'm sick. Call my boss. Oh my God, the flu! The flu's going around." She right in front of him picked the phone up. Yeah, Joe. Yeah, yeah, Joe's sick today. No, he got drunk last night. Mm. He goes, "You know what trouble I'm going to get in? Then don't get drunk." Mm. You know, it's like it's well, he's, take responsibility for your actions. As long, as long as you can get away with it, you're going to get away with it. You know, and unfortunately, in our case, a lot of times people don't show up for help until they got no resources left. They've been kicked out of the house. They've lost their job. Then you know they don't. That's so why, like, treatment centers go broke is, you know, a lot of the people, as we were talking earlier, certain drugs, meth, uh, crack, things like that, people don't have resources. Now, when you get into alcohol, most alcoholics are highly functional.
3: Mm-hmm. You know,
2: they'll get in, they'll make it home, then drink themselves into oblivion, right? And usually people don't change until there's enough pressure to change. And one of the things you can help a spouse or sniff another or child is get the, up the pressure, you know, one of my favorite sayings it sounds kind of so cold, is set them on fire, then offer them a fire extinguisher.
1: Hmm. You know,
2: you got to up the pain.
1: Well, and if they're not in enough pain, they don't feel like they need to change. No. Yeah. If you're giving them the excuse, you're doing this, uh, you know,
2: and it's it's that, you know, and it's tough love. And it it's harder. The reason it's called tough love, it, and people get it confusing. Yeah, you're being tough on the addict, the alcoholic, the person with the process, addiction, right. whatever it is. It's tougher on the person doing it because you're like... You, you see their pain right you know after the remorse of you know the guy gets gets arrested for
1: flashing you know yeah. you see the
2: pain in that but then the, they're off
1: to the cycle well one other thing i would I'd tell you about that is that one of the things i remember telling him when i met him because he clearly felt very ashamed and i said i'm not going to judge you you've already done that for yourself the reality is you feel deeply ashamed by what you're doing and quite honestly that's making you feel worse and putting you more likely to, to go do it again. Yeah. If you didn't feel so low, you wouldn't have to feel so high or mm-hmm. get so high. So, um, how, when we talk about the neuro restructuring techniques using hypnosis and neuro linguistics, what are some, I mean, obviously we don't have time to get into the specifics, and that's why right, they yeah. should see a, a trained, certified hypnotist who knows these things. Um, and, and obviously, unfortunately, even though hypnotists tend to be the best, um, uh, mm-hmm. profession to see for, at least for the things like eating and smoking and drinking and the process, behavioral addictions, um, a lot of them don't even really know a lot of these techniques, right. do they? No. So, so what would you say about those? How can people break addictions, getting into the subconscious, the emotional part where the it, habit is based?
2: Well, one of the things you brought up with the with the guy with the flashing is it starts the, the cycle of a compulsion or, or like a binge, if it was for most things, mm-hmm. is basically what happens... The behavior, whether it's an external or internal, the behavior that, you know, builds the pressure is the only behavior you know to relieve it. So you you, you feel so guilty about drinking, but the only way you know how to feel better is to drink. Right. Right? So it, it gets you stuck in a loop. First, got to break the loop. Right. And, you know, that's why removing people and and that's why they came up with the, you know, take people out and put them in treatment, put them over here. Mm. Well, people won't drink in treatment. Why? They're happy campers. They're being nurtured. People are there loving them. Their counselors are talking to them, mm-hmm. you know. But unfortunately, they got to go home. And then whatever And that, that was the
1: environment that probably stimulated to begin with. Yes, and, and
2: maybe, you know, whatever it happens to be. Uh, or they'll throw the guilt on. So So there's this. But one of the things we can do is... You know, again, when you look at people that that overcome addictions, they, they, they have a cognitive shift, right? And one of the things that they do is eventually they have to reinvent themselves, mm. right? They have to restructure who they are.
1: Like an identity level it, change. It, it's
2: an identity level change. I still remember I was doing a stop smoking seminar and we're sitting at a table like this and taking their... Intake forms, the guy throws his money down. You're the guy that's going to get me to quit smoking. And I look up, you know, and I glance. He's standing in front of the desk. He's got a Marlboro belt buckle. Mm. I glance up. He's got a Marlboro racing coat, right? Then he's got a Marlboro hat on, right? Now, do you think that's part of his identity? Yeah. Mm. It's going to be harder to get him to quit than the guy that says, you know, Doc, I just, this isn't me. I'm a healthy guy. Why do I smoke? Right. Ah, that guy's easy. This other guy's got to restructure. It's why you also see some cool phenomenon, you know, like guys start to sober up. And I see it a lot in AA. They start to sober up, and they're always the party guy, the frat guy. They're, you know, they might be quite successful. Suddenly, you run into them three years later. They're sober. They're a Harley guy. Mm. You know, they become, they reinvent. It. They're sober, but it's it's an identity because mm. that's that's one of the cores, right? That you got to reinvent yourself, and we have the technology to do that. You start like just picturing yourself different, you start doing things differently. And one of the reasons you yes, ask, like, you know, I'm a, I do like 12-step programs. One of the reasons, if you grew up in an alcoholic family, which a lot of people do, or a drug family, things like that, or even process addiction, okay, and then you start to change your behavior, you have no models in the world of how to act. Mm. You didn't get it growing up. Your friends aren't that way. Now, where do I find people that don't drink, that don't drug, that don't gamble? You know, well, you, you got a better shot walking into a, that's what the people are there for right so anyway that's but most people aren't taught how to how to use a 12-step program
1: i see they just walk in and they they get addicted to this 12-step program and and they can't leave the group because they're afraid they're going to relapse Well,
2: and yeah they get a lot of negative programming in that and no one taught them look this is what you should look for when you're at a 12-step program these are the models these are this so but what we can do and, and help people do that is realize that it's that you know thinking and and you know uh and and if you get into the you know the mental process when you're under stress and those neurochemicals spike and you need to you need to calm down you know there's one of the things that does that is things like meditation right things like meditation because it equalizes your um, serotonin and dopamine it equalizes it Mm -hmm. like the brain balance right and hypnosis does it when Mm -hmm. you hypnotize somebody in the middle of the day so Especially somebody who's never been hypnotized, right? And you first bring them up. Okay, five. Open your eyes. Come on back. Well, how many times do you see this? <sighs> Why? They've never, they've never hit that state in the middle of the day.
1: Right. Normally they're asleep when they're like that. Yeah.
2: It's like this is weird because they're calm in the middle of the day. They didn't, you know, it's like, and you get that effect when you're with a group of like-minded people. Mm. Right, so I like people go to conferences. Hypnosis go to hypnosis conferences. Right, it's that group mentality. Because if you take a cow and you separate it from the herd and you scare the crap out of it and it's all terrified, when it gets back to the herd, it gets right in the middle. And you, if you wired it, it, its brain just, right. And so that's why you see people. Another good reason about the twelve steps. They make it into that group. It's a group. We are social animals. Mm-hmm. Right. So you get a guy to quit drinking, or drugging, or whatever. Well. Flashing. what uh, where what do they do now, especially with things like especially with a culture of it like alcohol drugs, and gambling, right now they're out of that culture now they got no friends, so
1: they need they need a new so they need to upgrade their social circle because mm-hmm. that's the go to college
2: that's where like I've seen people sober up, uh they might go to some meetings, then they go to college, you know, and then. You know, they get degrees, they start doing other things. And they
1: think of themselves in a different way, and in a way they think of themselves as inconsistent with the addictive behavior. With the behavior. old
2: self. And then eventually, they don't just say, they're the person that just wouldn't drink again, or they right. wouldn't drug again, or gamble. It's just not who they
1: are. Okay, so doing that, because we got to wrap up in a minute, but doing that in combination with resolving maybe long, long-held emotional trauma or unresolved crap from childhood... Yes, yeah, so you hit on
2: something, because... <clears throat> a lot of the current research is probably as high as fifty percent. With a fifty percent of the people with addictions, if not higher, have unresolved trauma. Right. Because remember, it's not. And as, a lot of
1: it is sexual abuse. It could or... be sexual
2: abuse, and it could be a, what you and I might say well, that's a, that's not a trauma. Well, to that little kid that had it, right, it was a trauma. Right. You know, and you know that his mom is. The the bus driver dropped them off at the wrong place, or
1: kid, their parents forgot to pick them up at school, and they felt abandoned, and for the whole life they felt. And so there's,
2: and part of that is uh, the trauma recovery, and you fix that, and suddenly it can ripple through.
1: Because the behavior is a symptom, or is a way of alleviating the emotional discomfort, mm -hmm. and when the emotional discomfort is alleviated, the need to
2: the human subconscious operates very simply. You know, it's like, it's pleasure pain, it's yes, no, it's very, it's a simple operating system. We complicate it, but it, so if you start feeling uncomfortable, and all of a sudden, not consciously, but you're thinking, this reminds me of when I was five years old, my dad didn't pick me up from preschool. And, well, you're not thinking that consciously, you're just uncomfortable. Well, what makes me feel better? You know, a drink, a cigarette, a, a Dairy Queen, whatever happens. Because
1: you, the person learned, years so, for years, that that worked for them.
2: Yes, and now you can restruct and if you start resolving the trauma then that relieves and then all of a sudden it just the trigger's not there you know
1: it's right. like wow it's so you, you you're working at making those changes as we wrap up making those changes at the identity level at the behavioral level the at the level. belief level and of course basically that's changing how someone thinks which changes how they feel and uh-huh. that frees them up to change their behavior right and okay
2: then, and when you really see it work elegantly plus you know you hit people especially if they're in the Anything with the culture of it, drinking, drugging, gambling, things like that. If they clean up, not only, you know, they'd say in traditional treatment, well, don't go there. You know, don't go there. Well, even if you go there, they don't want you there. If you're not drinking and partying, you don't fit in at a drinking party in the environment. Why, you know, if you're not gambling, Vegas is a very boring town. Right? know, it really
1: is. I mean, I don't, I don't. I agree. I, I can't stay there more than a couple of days. Uh, yeah. yeah, and,
2: and what and and what happens stays there. That's right. But and prostitution <laughs> is
1: only legal in the outskirts, but not in oh, the city. Why do <laughs> that? Anyway, we we got we yeah, got an eighty dollar cab
2: ride.
3: <laughs> yeah. oh,
1: but but goes. with Uber it's, it's half off. Okay, so we got to uh, we got to wrap up. Unfortunately, there's so much that we could talk about. But uh, thank you very much, Dr. Will Horton, for being here. You're an expert in, in addiction recovery and um, and you know helping people rewire their brain through. Hypnosis, neurolinguistics, and uh, and neuro restructuring techniques. Your book's title is
2: "The Alcohol and Addiction Solution." Okay. Uh, and uh,
1: what website can they people find www.
2: more? www.fastaddictionrecovery.org. Fastaddictionrecovery.org,
1: Fastaddictionrecovery.org. Yes. and also drwillhorton.com Will
2: drwillhorton.com and, Dr. and it and my last message, real quick, is hope. You know, I've seen thousands of people recover from. It. I'm a living example of it. That's what brought me into this field. Uh, you know i drank away a, 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 my military career and uh, my my acting career and you've been clean over 30 years Thir- so 32 32 yeah. that's and, fantastic and I, I, so there's hope it can be done
1: wonderful thank you so much this is todd goodwin from the miami hypnosis center your hypnotist and host with the inspiring minds show hopefully we've inspired you a little bit to live your best life um, you can find archive shows on ownyourpowerlifestyle.com or visit miamihypnosiscenter.com have an amazing day live your best life